Okay, good morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and find our seats if we could. working, right? Let's go ahead and get started if we could, if you could find your seats. I have to get that cowbell and ring it. Good morning. Yeah, okay. Welcome to Grace Church. Good to have you this morning. Uh, glad to worship with everyone here. If you're new to Grace Church, just a few points of orientation. Restrooms are in the overflow room to my right. So if you need the restrooms, there are two nice restrooms out there. Mother's Nook, if you go through the back double doors to the right, you'll find a place where you can have privacy with the baby. As well as child care is in the back room through the door on the left, up through age four. We love having the kids in with us if they want to stay with you. We love parents and children worshiping together. That's part of raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They not only need to be taught how to worship, they need to see you worshiping and see your passion for the Lord. So we love having them in. But if you need nursery, take advantage of it. It is back there um, provided for you. Uh, giving boxes are on the back wall. We also do that through the website. So if uh, you need help with that, let us know. Uh, first, this morning, I have a lot of announcements, so I'm Talking like the FedEx guy, that's why. At least for a southern guy, this is talking like the FedEx guy, you know. PM service tonight. We're going to talk about some really foundational stuff tonight from Genesis 2 and God's covenant with Adam. So, love to have you here tonight at 6 o'clock. PM service right here at 6 o'clock. And really, that is, we're just training in the fundamentals of the faith on Sunday nights. We're walking through... Uh, the catechism and talking about each one of those questions. So, love to have you here and have you be part of that. Laugh, Life After 50 uh, is tomorrow night at 6 p.m. at the Mueller's home. So, if ladies, if you are over 50 and willing to admit it, you are part, you can be part of, you, or I guess 50. If you're 50 or above and willing to admit it, uh, you only have to admit it to them, though. Nobody's carding you or anything. But uh, you can you can be there with the group and enjoy food and fellowship together and uh, with the ladies. If you have any questions about that, I would just point you to my wife right here on the front row, and uh, she can answer those for you. Mark your calendars. We'll have a family fun night on August the 25th. Uh, I have 6 p.m. here. Uh, those in charge of that, is that right? Correct? We know that. We just decided that. 6 p.m. Is that a Friday night? Friday night, August the 25th, 6 p.m., right here. Basically, you can call it a game night, but we'll just get together and spend time together and enjoy uh, fellowship together and play some games together. Um, If you would like to serve on the nursery crew or the cleaning crew, uh, we would love to have your help there. So you can let Anthony Herman know that. Anthony, where are you? Raise your hand. Sitting right here on the front row, easy to find. So uh, let him know or or let Terry know if you can serve on cleaning or nursery and they'll walk you through uh, that process. 
Cindy wanted me to mention the refresh email. Is that for the the fall? Yes. Okay. Yep, two sign-up sheets by the coffee for morning refresh and evening refresh. The ladies are a lot more fancy than the guys are. The ladies call their ministry refresh. You know what the guys call theirs? Men's ministry. So <laughs> we didn't spend as much time thinking about that, I don't guess. But you don't have to be 50 to be part of refresh, right? If you want to be part of that, there's sign-up sheets over there, and you can see Cindy for more information about that. As well as she wanted me to just mention for you the firehouse meals. Um, what the ladies do is they cook and take meals to the firehouses in Swansboro and in Cedar Point, West Carteret over there uh, in Cedar Point. So if you want to be a part of, you can be a part by delivering meals, you can be a part by cooking meals, you can be a, men and women, right? Not just the ladies, kids, younger people, you can cook and be part of that. And I tell you what, Big part of that is being there to deliver them and, and spend a little time with them. And we have word back that the books and the tracks we take over with the meals are being read and talked about. So pray for that. But if you want to help uh, minister to the first responders, um, you can be a part of that. I'll point you to Cindy again. She's going to be busy after the service. Lord willing. Um, let me see what else i got here. Oh. Want to make you aware. Exciting announcement. Pray for it. Be looking forward to your email and other announcements for more details about this. But Grace Church is now the, uh, the owner of a piece of land. <clears throat> so, and if you want to know where that is, if you go uh, down 24, uh, you know where the Bojangles is right before you turn on 58 to go out on the beach. And that new tractor supply is on the left. Well, it's a few lots behind the tractor supply. So really good location. We're seeking the Lord's will as to whether he would have that just be a good investment for the future or whether in his grace he would allow us to build a building there. So be praying about that and you'll be getting more information about that. But we do now own a piece of property. So you do. Not, you know, we. Big we. So it's exciting. Exciting. We've, we've had a number of attempts to either buy a building or buy a piece of property or it's tough in this area. If we were in Moorhead or, or Jacksonville or Moorhead, it'd be a little bit easier. But the Lord has us here and we want to have a footprint for the gospel here. Last thing I'll say is that I know we have uh, some of our young folks who will be heading back off to college, to school, or, or going off to school, and just know that we will miss you, and we will pray for you, and we're here to help you in any way that we can. And the only thing I'll say to you this morning, and I hope you know what I mean by this, take Jesus with you. I mean, you can't leave him at home. He's everywhere you are. But intentionally, take Jesus with you. See your studies as an act of worship to the Lord, and seek to honor and glorify him in the midst of your studies as you prepare for his future for you. So um, just know that you're loved and appreciated and will be missed and look forward to the next time we see you and learn about what all you're learning in school, yes, but also how you're growing in grace. So let us know how you're doing as you're away. 
Those are the only things I have here. The last thing I'll say is about membership. Um, there are sign-ups for membership, baptism, and other things over on the wall there. Uh, if you are interested in membership, the process is to go through Grace Church 101. That's on the website under the Join Us tab. It's only six classes, and most of those classes are 30 minutes or less. I know the theology one is a little bit longer, um, but if you're interested in membership or you just want to know more about Grace Church, how did we get here? You know, what's the history? What's the mission? What's the vision? All that is in that class. And But if you have finished Grace Church 101 and you are uh, ready to be interviewed for membership, then if you would let me know that right after the service. I know about some of you. And uh, we are, we're going to do some interviews after, after the service here today. So if you are, if you are, have you completed Grace Church 101 and you're ready to sit down and talk about membership, please let me know right after the service and we will get those done this, this morning after, or this, this afternoon after we're done. Um, that's really all I have as far as announcements go. Anything else we all need to know about other than it's really hot? We will make it. We have it really good compared to most of our brothers and sisters around the world. So, This week's memory verse goes right along with the sermon. It's Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So be memorizing that and thinking about that. And in, it is we are to live life in following after and imitating uh, to the extent we can. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so the catechism question is number 26. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Answer. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born as part of his humiliation. The eternal son of God taking a true human nature unto himself. In his being born and that in a low condition made under the law. Undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. So that, thus, that really ends his humiliation, his exaltation. Yes, he was raised from the grave, but that's part of his exaltation. So we'll talk about that later. But be, be reading the word. Christ says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What's the flip implication of that? If you're not in my word, you're not my disciple. How can you be a learner if you're not listening to the teacher? So be in the word. Be, be reading the word every day. If you need help with that, let us know. We're happy to help you with that. If you have not been in the habit of reading the word, start with the book of John. Start with the gospel of John. And then when you need to know where to go from there, let us know. But we want you to learn what it is to be a Christian before you start in Genesis and try to, to make sense of the Old Testament. We interpret the Old Testament in the light of Christ and his coming, so that's why I'm telling you that. But John has written that you might know him and have eternal life in his name. So start there and let us know if we can help you in any way. But let's take a pause now and take a, a moment of silence. Go before the Lord and, and look to him and prepare your heart for worship.
Lord, Father, help us not to take for granted what is a mighty privilege this morning. To come before the throne of the true and living God, the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the one who sustains all things by the word of his power. What a privilege is ours to worship you this morning. On your day, Lord willing, in your way, for your glory and our good. Help us to worship you with all that we are this morning, knowing that for your children, our worship is acceptable through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our worship joins with the worship of the saints around the globe on this your day. Our worship joins with the worship of the saints and angels around your throne in heaven this day. We glorify you and enjoy you because of your grace, knowing that in the midst we will be transformed. So convert the lost, Lord. Empower the saved. Help us to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you. To give you our hearts and our attention in all that we do. In the praying, in the singing, in the reading, in the preaching, in the response, Lord. May we worship you this morning. In spirit and truth. Worshiping the Father. In and through the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Grant us the grace and the privilege to worship you in spirit and truth. We, we cry out for it. And we trust for it. Because we know it is your will revealed in your word. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. So let's greatly worship our great God through song this morning. The first one will be number two. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. To the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who o'er all things so Shelters be under his wings, it goes gently sustained. Hast thou not seen how thy desires have been? Considered what he ordained. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. 
he's made to those who are his are real. They're tangible. And you can hang on to those promises in the darkest and in the lightest time. We're going to read David once again this morning on how he runs to the Lord. We're in Psalm 61 this morning. Lead me to the rock. Is Jesus your rock? I got to make this personal. We're getting taught, but are we walking out in it? Are we living the life that God has called us to as his children? So as we look today, look for some key words. How quickly David runs to prayer, to the throne room of God. How quickly he clings to the rock. The only rock we have is Christ. And I encourage you, my friends, be eager to go there. Don't hold back. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, 
listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And your Bible may say, Selah, rest on that. Rest on laying into the wings of Christ and his arms. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations, right to Christ. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Here ends God's word. Let us pray. O merciful merciful and glorious God, we, your children, come before you this day as David cried out to you, hear our prayers and all the days of our lives. Lord, we appeal that you would be our stronghold and tower where we would confidently run to you first as the challenges of this life befall your people. That we would come and dependently on your mercy and grace. Lord, our joy is in you and the promises you have made to your people. We hope in the inheritance that you have given those who have been redeemed by the blood of your son, Jesus the Christ. Our hope is in the promises of your scripture. And Lord, we look to that day that you will return or call us home justified by your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, let our lives reflect your love. Let us be committed and be recommitted each day of our lives to serve you as we look to the living house of the Lord forever. Your promises are real. We have a hope in this life and the life to come. Lord, we pray for the preaching of your word this day. Awaken the souls of all present here. Lord, we ask that you would let us rightly understand the preaching and embrace your word and apply the gospel truths to our lives. Moreover, Lord, let us walk in them with the confidence that we read by your servant David. Lord, guide Jeff as he brings your word to us today. Fill him afresh. Renew him with your Holy Spirit. Guide every word. Anything of him, Lord, let it fall to the ground. But, Lord, let us receive the nuggets that you have provided for your people today. Lord, we pray these things in the blessed assurance of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Please stand with me. The next gonna is, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It is not in your hymn book if you're using your hymn book. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, greatest treasure of my longing soul, my God, like you there is no other, true delight is found in you alone, your grace. Round my 
If you are His forever, if you are His now, you are His forever. He finishes what He starts. And if, also, if you are His, you will be bearing the fruit of His Spirit and growing in it. Notice I didn't say perfectly. We're being sanctified. We've not been glorified yet. But if you are His, you are His forever. You have been His forever. And you will be His forever. Before the foundation of the world, you are His and in the foundation endurance of the new heavens and the new earth, you will be His. How can I be His? Be good and do good, and maybe you'll be good enough. Is that it? <clears throat> if it is, I'm not preaching right. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forgiven and declared righteous through faith or trust in Him. So trust in Him. And know that you are His forever. And if you know me, you know that wasn't the sermon. We're just getting started. But Turn to Romans chapter 12. We're beginning the second major section in, uh, in uh, the book of Romans. Kind of like Ephesians. Think of Ephesians. The first three chapters are, are the indicatives or what God has done for us. And then the last three chapters in Ephesians are what He therefore, on the basis of His grace, requires of us. In Romans, it's chapters 1 through 11. And then 12 picks up with the therefores of the gospel. We've seen some commands earlier in chapter 6 and other places. But now we're really seeing what difference should the gospel make in my life? What should my life look like? Because God has had mercy on me. Because He has brought me to faith in Jesus. 
And we began looking at verses 1 and 2 with seeing that our proper response to the gospel is to be a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. By not being conformed to the world, but by being transformed in our minds through His Word. And then we'll pick up today with sort of the found, on, on Christ, the, the foundation. What is the fundamental grace that must be present in our lives that that grace will be built upon with, with more Christ-likeness? But look in chapter 12. We're going to read 12, 1 to 3. And then we're going to flip over and read a little bit from Philippians before we start. But Romans 12, 1 to 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, remember, all that you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now watch, four. See that connecting word? He's connecting verse three to what he said already. It's part of a flow here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than you ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And if you're, if you're following in your Bibles, if you would flip over to Philippians. I hadn't said this in a while. My wife will probably groan. But you can remember the order. Gentile, Gentiles. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. That'll give you the order. But in Philippians 2, (laughs) in Philippians 2, we have Christ set before us. He is our example that we are to follow. So look in verse 1 of chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What kind of mind are you talking about, Paul? Look at verse 3. Do nothing. And that's not a little something. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, this kind of mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God, the Father, has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God, the Father. That's for God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we're in awe of your grace. Your mercy. That Christ, you would come and live for us. And die for us. 
be raised for us, reign for us, and promise to come again for us someday and assure us that when you come, we will be like you. The work will be finished, glorified. Right now we're on the way and we need hope. And we need help. We need direction. So we pray that you would give it this morning. Guide and lead us to have your mindset. Your self-sacrificial, others-focused. God, the Father, glorifying mindset. So rid us of everything contrary to your mindset. That would hinder us from following you. Guide and lead us through your word. That we might be humble as you are humble. So, Lord, bless the preaching. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Send forth your word and may it run and be glorified. And, Lord, help us to hear it as the word of God. With reverence, with focus, with diligence, with determination to understand it and live in its light. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Lift high your son. Draw all kinds of people to yourself and grow up your children in the faith. Do a mighty work this morning. It's in the holy and precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Who said that? What did Peter do? Peter said that. You can go read in Matthew 26. You'll see that Jesus is another one of those places where he's predicting his crucifixion and his death. But he's telling those disciples that have walked with him, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. You will all... Flee, you will all deny me, but I will, you will see me again in Galilee. Even there, there's a promise of restoration. But Peter, having said that, ends up not practicing what he had preached. He didn't believe Jesus' word about his weakness. See, we're in trouble when we don't believe the word about our weakness. And he denied Jesus three times. Why did that happen? Well, Peter was afflicted with the same thing we're all afflicted with. And we have to have sanctified in us. Peter believed too much in Peter. Peter did not really know Peter. And what did Peter lack at this point? Humility. Augustine said that humility is first, second, and third in the Christian life. Without humility, there is no Christian life. Peter thought too highly of himself, which is pride. And that's why he did what he never imagined he would do. 
which is denied Jesus. Many people today think that the main goal for children is to make children feel good about themselves. To give them what's called high self-esteem. But multiple studies have shown that simply boosting a child's self-esteem when they haven't earned it is positively harmful. The give everybody a trophy culture is just inoculating kids against the gospel. Studies show that simply boosting self-esteem when it's not earned, when it's not real, when it's not honest, is positively harmful. One study of math students in 34 countries showed this. In all 34 countries, overconfident students were less likely to have above average math scores. And underconfident students were more likely to have above average math scores. The most confident, self-confident students did the worst. And according to the study, students who can accurately gauge their strengths and weaknesses are more likely to recognize how much more work and help they need to achieve their goals. On the other hand, students who overestimate their mathematic skills often do little homework, do not ask for help, and ultimately perform poorly on the tests. See, the danger, the more we pump up our minds with how strong and great we are, the more we set ourselves up for failure. The more we inoculate ourselves to the gospel. So we're going to get great help here from the Apostle Paul in a fundamental truth about the Christian life today. We're studying through the book of Romans. And like I said, we've come through the first 11 chapters. We've seen what Paul calls in 12.1, the mercies of God. That though we all deserve condemnation, we've all sinned and fall short of His glory. He sent His Son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, so that we might by faith trust in Him and be made right with God. For God so loved the world, literally that should read, God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, whosoever, not just mental assent, but trusts Him for salvation, shall not perish but have everlasting life. We've also seen that the soul that God justifies or declares righteous on the basis of Christ is also sanctified and empowered. The same work, power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you to know that in Christ you have died to sin and are alive to God in Him. We have the power necessary for growth. We have the direction necessary for growth. His Word, and we have the encouragement necessary. Through His gospel. His forever. Through His sacrifice. So the, today we're going to see. We just really were big picture in verses 1 and 2. When we said we were. 
In verses 1 and 2, we see what God calls us to. He calls us to be a living sacrifice. And how are we to do that? By, by being transformed by His Word. And what will be the fruit of being transformed by His Word? And we're, going to talk, we're just going to talk about verse 3 today. We're going to talk about Christ-like humility. In other words, right thinking. You see in the text there, uh, it talks about um, <clears throat> whenever you see sober, it doesn't mean not being drunk with intoxicants, right? Sober thinking is right thinking. It's thinking in line with the way you're created. Thinking as a creature of God, which is what you are. Right thinking. And that right thinking, listen to me, right thinking begins with humility. Without humility, I will never see myself as a sinner who deserves condemnation. Without humility, I will never be willing to trust someone outside of myself with my soul, which is Christ, trusting Him for my salvation. And without humility, I will certainly not follow Him in the paths of this life. So, main point is very simple. Think rightly by putting off pride. You know, you, you go in Ephesians 4, you go in the Bible. Sanctification is a process of putting off and putting on. It's not just putting off. It's not just stop it. But it's, it's put off everything that doesn't look like Christ and put on Christ's likeness is our growth in grace. So, think rightly. Think biblically. Think gospelly by putting off pride and putting on Biblical humility. So the first point is beware of pride. The fundamental sin in the Bible, right? And listen, just a side note. All of the quotes from today are in your bulletins. Sarah wanted to put all the quotes in the bulletins. They're in your bulletin. Um, and they'll be on the, on the slides here too. But we do often see people taking their phone out and taking snapshots of the, of the quotes. So trying to give you those quotes because I'm using a few of them today. Beware of pride. Why? It's the fundamental sin. Listen, you see this. When God repeats Himself, it's serious. We see it in both Testaments, it's serious. Right? But you, in, just in the New Testament, in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, you see this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, if you're taking notes. <clears throat> God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in fact, His work of grace, as I've already said, is to make us humble so that we turn to Him for salvation and walk with Him, trusting Him in our sanctification. But pride is the serious and fundamental sin. Proverbs six sixteen to 19 I love it when the word is this direct. There are six things the Lord is mildly displeased with. There are six things that the Lord hates Seven that are an abomination to him. That are really, really bad. Evil. Immoral. Ungodly. Unchristlike. Look at the list and look what's first on the list. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and false witnesses who breathe out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. But really, I'm just pointing at that first one on the list, haughty eyes. 
<clears throat> this is just a figure of speech that uses a part for the whole, right? The eyes being used as a part, meaning, meaning the life, the body, the person. Proud. A proud look reveals a proud heart. God hates it. The look in the eyes reveals an underlying attitude of pride. The, the world loves pride. Satan loves pride. But God hates it. Spurgeon says this, O believer, learn to reject pride, seeing that you have no ground for it. Whatever you are, you have nothing to make you proud. The more you have, the more you are in debt to God. And you should not be proud of that which renders you a debtor. What should crush our pride? What has God, what tool, what instrument has God given to crush our pride? Well, look, Spurgeon tells us. The law is for the self-righteous to humble their pride. And the gospel is for the lost to remove their despair. But see, we're not preaching the law these days. So we have very few people sitting under our preaching coming to despair that they can ever do good. Because you can just generically say, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you put no, no definition on that. And people are like, well, sure, everybody's a sinner. Give me, you know, give me the good stuff. I qualify. Just very flippant. <clears throat> but the law is meant to crush us, first and foremost. That's the first ministry of the law, is to crush us. It's to show us that we fall short of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. That we worship other gods, and we don't worship His way, and we use His name as a curse word. And, you know, if, if worship works on His day, we'll honor Him, but if not, we'll do something else. We, we murder, we commit adultery, we steal, we lie, we covet, we do all of these things. But when the God's at work with His law, and He shows these commandments to us, it's like a mirror. You know, you get up in the morning and you go to the mirror and things don't look right. You don't just shrug your shoulders like the funds and walk away, right? You do something about it. Well, the mirror of God's law shows a far more grim picture. I, not only have I not kept all of His commandments, I haven't kept one. Because... I haven't kept them in thought, word, and deed. I haven't kept them out of love for God. I haven't kept them seeking His glory first and foremost. And the wages of sin, what is sin? Lawlessness. It's breaking His commandments. The wages, the, the righteous, just payoff for that is condemnation. It's wrath. And that's what every one of us deserve. And see, until you come to that conclusion, you're not humble before the Lord. Paul said, we saw it in chapter 3, that the law is meant to shut our mouths. To get us to stop making excuses. To fall on our faces before Him. The Pharisee and the tax collector. I'll talk about the Pharisee in a minute. But remember the tax collector. He was humbled. Well, he wouldn't even look toward heaven. He was on his face saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what God does when the law is humbling us. 
And then having humbled us where we see and we cry out for mercy, then the gospel brings comfort to our despair. Yes, you have fallen short. Yes, you deserve condemnation. Oh, sinner, as the, the, the deacon told Charles Spurgeon when he was converted, look to Christ, young man. Look to Christ. and Look away from self. You, you, you're lost and sinful and can't save yourself and you deserve condemnation. Look outside yourself to Christ and you will find a merciful Redeemer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and promise you will be saved. Trust anything else and you will not be saved. I don't care how many Mercedes you get in this life or big houses you get. If you are trusting in yourself or something else and not Christ, you are not and will not be saved. This is as good as it gets. This truly is your best life now. In Christ, we know that we're forgiven. Cleansed from all of our sin. Clothed in His righteousness. Now we're children of God. So look back at our text in verse 3. The first element of right thinking, of sober thinking, of gospel thinking. Look at what it says. I'm saying this, look, look back at our text in, in verse 3. For, and I said this earlier, this connects to, he's showing us how to be a living sacrifice. For by the grace given to me, Paul, Saul, that, I mean, what better example? Saul, who was trying to destroy the church, is now an apostle preaching the gospel. He says, for the grace given to me as an apostle, I say to everyone among you, this is the authority of an apostle. He's saying this to the whole church. First, first, God, first you go the way of negation. This is what you should not do, that you might do this. And so the way of negation, first, number one, not every one of you should not think of himself or herself more highly than you ought to think. You should not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You need to think soberly about yourself. You need to realize that we are born in pride and infected with this disease and we must be delivered from it. And that in and of ourselves, you know what God owes us? Wrath. That's it. God owes us condemnation in and of ourselves because we have broken his law. We have spurned his name. We have turned our backs on him. We will not have him ruling over us. We've gone our own way. So first and foremost, I think of myself that way. In and of myself, I deserve nothing good. But what's the world's mantra? You've heard these things before. If you don't put yourself first, nobody else will. If you don't take care of yourself first, nobody else will. Take care of number one. What's the implication? I am number one. And I don't even like the things that say I am second. And you've probably seen, no, you're not even second. If you're thinking biblically, you'll see today, you're not second. God, others. Take care of number one. How about you go to some churches and they'll hold up their Bible and try to get you to say, I'm strong, I'm beautiful, I'm here. I'm sick. I've got this. I'm smarter than. I deserve more. I'm the greatest, Ali. I am the greatest. Pride elevates self and personal ambitions at the expense of others. 
I can remember telling one of my friends, fresh out of high school, I don't care who I have to step on or who I have to step over. I will have what I want. And he was like, yeah, me too. Pride elevates self and personal ambition at the expense of others. To the proud, self is the ultimate value. I decide what's right and wrong. If it doesn't make sense to me, it can't be true. I am the measure. I've got it. Whenever you see it, feel yourselves looking down on other people's, other people, you know that you've been a, you've got this virus of pride working. I mean, you can even be religious and be proud. How about the Pharisee and what I mentioned, the Pharisee and the tax collector? In Luke 18, I'll let you go read it there. But what did he say? What's the first thing he said? I thank you, God. Make God sick. I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Implication. This tax collector in front of me. I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast. I give. See, he was self-exalting and self-focused, and he did not go home justified, Jesus says. The tax collector did. See, pride is counterproductive to coming to faith, and it's counterproductive to growing in grace. Think about any, maybe some of you. It's probably one of the hardest games you'll ever try to play is golf. You take a long stick and hit a little ball, and you got a hole about that big that's 500 yards away. You got to get it in, and you start out by buying better clubs so that you hit it farther in the woods <laughs> instead of taking lessons. I'm telling you, I went. We were play, playing golf one day, and we came up behind this man teaching his children to play, and they were out in the fairway. And he said, "Y'all play through," and he went out in the woods. I hit one of them. It was on the hop, thankfully, and it didn't hurt him. And I told him, I said, if you'd have stayed in the middle of the fairway, you'd have been safe. Listen, you don't start learning golf by the coach telling you how great you are. You stink. But humility leads to the necessary hard work to get better. See, pride in our lives is expressed in not trusting God, fundamentally. Not depending upon God. Defining myself, not defining myself in the light of God's Word, but having a self-first mentality. So see, my first response to the gospel and my first attempt to be a living sacrifice, and as I'm being transformed by His Word, I will see that I should actively reject all pride and self-exaltation. Pride in all its forms. Listen, I should reject pride either in always talking about how bad I am. You know that's a form of pride, right? It's self-focused, just like the other. Me always complaining and talking about how bad I am or how bad I've got it. I'm focused right here. Or always talking about how good I am. Listen, outlier or in your head. You don't always say it out loud, do you? But a lot of times in our head, we are like that Pharisee. 
Oh, man. I don't want to be around those people. We are in response to the gospel, and if we are being transformed by the word, we will beware of pride, seeing it as a fundamental sin, and we will be embracing humility. Point number two. Look at the second part of the verse. Paul says that as an apostle, he's telling us, number one, to put off thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. And we're going to talk about what that standard is. We've already seen it in our reading. Right. We are to think like Jesus. But our first response to the gospel is to put off pride. Secondly, we embrace humility. Look, look at the, the second part of that verse. We're not to do this, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So, pride is unsound thinking. Pride is diseased thinking. It's sinful thinking. Listen, it's satanic thinking. What was Satan's downfall? But humility is Christ-like thinking. It's thinking soberly. It's thinking Rightly. What did Micah say in Micah 6, 8? You remember this one. I don't think it's on the slide. Oh, man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Look at J.C. Ryle said this. Brian just perked up when I mentioned J.C. Ryle. The surest mark of conversion is going to church all the time. Giving a lot of money. The surest mark of true conversion is humility. You want to know if you're converted? Am I humble? I'm not saying you're glorified humble, but you should be on the way. The surest mark of true conversion is humility. Think about building a house. And you go out and you dig the footers and you build the foundation. That's Christ. Then on top of that foundation, you build this flooring system on which all the rest of the structure will be built. Think of that as humility. How good would the walls be if there was no flooring structure? You couldn't build them. Humility is that fundamental. Remember, Augustine said it's number one, number two, and number three in the Christian life. The surest mark of true conversion is humility. I love this. I found this in the open Bible uh, commentary. It says this. Watch this. Humility is the grace that attracts more grace. Now, watch this next sentence. Pride closes the door to spiritual growth. But humility opens the door of your life to more of God's grace. And it's not that you're earning it. He works humility in those that he saves. To the humble, God gives patience and peace and gentleness. Are you not being patient? Are you not experiencing his peace? Are you not gentle? Here, here's a big test. Are you not gentle with those around you? Even those who don't deserve it. Christ was so gentle. With those who don't deserve it. But bring it all the way down to you. Christ has been so gentle with you. You say, well, I'm not even a believer. <laughs> Believe me, he's been gentle. You don't have what you deserve yet. But even at, especially as a believer, 
He's so patient with us and he's so peaceful with us and so gentle with us. And we're so slow to extend that to those around us because we wait till they deserve it. No, no, no. He deserves it. This is the only way you can love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you and return a blessing instead is that your eyes are fixed on Christ. This is how he lived for you. And that's how, therefore, he calls you to live. We don't get to take a pound of flesh first. Look at this, that quote. The fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of humility. Humility is the key to spiritual growth. If you are proud, you will not grow. You might gain more knowledge and beat people over the head with it. But you won't grow more Christ-like. That's why we have to be real careful when people first come to an understanding of Reformed theology. We can get kind of aggressive when we first come to it. We want to be, everybody must do this. You've got to be patient and bring people along and trust God with it. Humility is the key to spiritual growth. So what is humility? Well, first, it's not thinking too highly of yourself. And second, watch. It's very simple. Spurgeon, we're letting Spurgeon teach us this morning. There's one thing about reading. I told you, read your Bible primarily, but then read other people. And most of the good stuff is by dead people. Most of the contemporary stuff's not worth reading. Notice I said most. Don't bring me your good book from today and say this is worth reading. <clears throat> but Spurgeon says this. It is not humility to underrate yourself. Now, underline this sentence. Humility is to think of yourself as God thinks of you. There you go. To think of yourself as God thinks of you. Now, watch this. It is to feel that if we have talents, God has given them to us. And let it be seen that like a freight in a vessel... They tend to sink us low. The more we have, the lower we ought to be. Gospel lowering of ourselves. But if I think of myself the way God thinks of me, I know in and of myself I deserve condemnation. I have nothing to boast about except in Him. But I also know some positive stuff. In Christ Jesus, His Son, I am forgiven of all my sin. I am clothed in His righteousness. I am accepted as a child of God. Justified. Being sanctified. Will be glorified. An heir of heaven who will live with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. The most humble have the most assurance because they believe what God tells them. I don't look to my circumstances to tell me whether or not God loves me. I don't look to other people to tell me whether or not God loves me. I look to the gospel, the cross. And know God loves me. And if He'll do that for me, what good thing will He withhold? Biblical humility is to be negatively without arrogance, not self-centered, considering others. We saw this as we read Philippians. And I want to encourage you, just go meditate on Philippians 2, 1 through 11, okay? I don't have time this morning to go back through that. Mindset of Christ, without arrogance, not self-centered, considering God and others as more important. Now, here's a test. Listen to me. Humility makes one more severe on their own faults than they are on other people's faults. If I'm humble, I'm going to be more severe on my faults than I am. I'm going to see my faults as the log and theirs as the speck. 
I'm not going to go around with that log bashing people over the head trying to help them. I'm going to be humble because of my sin and hopefully used as an instrument of kindness and grace to help other people grow. Humility extends grace when it's wronged. So look back at our text. Think with sober judgment. That means to think sensibly. New American Standard says, have sound judgment. Think rightly. That's where we got our title. Not thinking too highly of self or too lowly, but thinking right about self. In other words, agreeing with God. Remember, verse 2, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we believe God. We trust God. We follow Him in His Son, in the power of His Spirit. I be- I, my goal is to believe everything this Word says about me. See, it's been proved true by the resurrection of Christ. So if we're going to think rightly, we have that standard of comparison, which is Christ. So go read in Philippians 2. Jesus is our standard. And how He, out of love, kept the law for the glory of the Father and the good of His people. He sacrificed Himself for us that we might have life in Him. And that life that we have in Him is expressed by us then going out and sacrificing ourselves for others. Listen, without humility, a church will never stay unified. We won't be able to focus on the main things. We won't be able to let love cover a lot of stuff. We won't be able to quickly forgive one another. Listen, when somebody in the church sins against you, you immediately forgive them. Because you've been forgiven. And then they come and they confess that to you. When they confess that to you, they, you extend grace to them. How many times Jesus, Peter said, 70 times 7? No. Many times as it takes. Follow me. Look at me. Look how I sacrificed myself to become a man of sorrows for you. The standard is the Son of God. Meditate on Jesus. Read the Gospels. Seek to follow Him. Not by atoning for sin. You can't be God and you can't atone for sin. But the man Jesus who lived in obedience to the, to the law, his own law, you can follow him in that kind of humble, self-sacrificial service. Look, I got a long quote from R.C. Sproul to explain this and bring it back to Romans 12, and hopefully this will help you. Such requires that we, in an attitude of humility, count others more significant than ourselves. See, when we won't forgive somebody that... that ha- in our hearts immediately, and then extend that to them when they confess, we're showing that we are in our own sight the most important and not Christ. It doesn't mean don't treat them with wisdom, right? That's another sermon. But look at this. Such requires that we in an attitude of humility count others more significant than ourselves. What Paul has in view here is not a negative estimation of our own self-worth or a refusal to be honest about our own abilities. For elsewhere, he demands that we think of ourselves soberly and properly, recognizing our own dignity without thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Romans 12, 3. We are not, as it were, to see other people as inherently better than we are because of their talents or position. Rather, we are to count others as more significant than ourselves insofar as we consider their needs before 
our own. So biblical humility is agreeing with God regarding who you are and what you're capable of, of, both without Him and in Him, in Christ. It's not being overly critical or overly optimistic about yourself. It's manifest in a life that seeks to glorify God by benefiting others before self. So, in other words, I heard this summary. It's a godly lowliness. Humility is a godly lowliness. Those who are exalted will be humbled, but those who are humble will be exalted. A godly lowliness, a willingness to put myself as a servant like Christ so that others might know Him and grow in Him. And again, at the end of the verse, kind of a controversial, people argue about what it means, but according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, we're just going to keep it real basic this morning. My humility is fucled. Well, that's a new word even I needed the definition of. My humility is fueled as I recognize that even my faith is a gift of God. Not a result of my own virtue. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Fueled as I recognize that even the faith that God has given me. And if it's faith enough to trust in Christ, it's enough faith. You know, you know that God didn't put a meter on our foreheads about the strength of our faith, right? And the point is not whether or not I have enough faith. What did he tell the disciples? If you have faith as mustard seed, that's more than enough. What makes my faith valuable is not how much I have, but who I trust. And if you're in Christ, you're trusting him. God has humbled you and turned you so that you trust in him. John Calvin puts it this way. Y'all didn't even know John Calvin said anything about anything but predestination, did you? That's the way a lot of people talk. John Calvin said, That man is truly humble who neither claims any personal merit in the sight of God, nor proudly despises his brethren, or aims at being thought superior to them, but reckons it enough that he is one of the members of Christ and desires nothing more than the head alone should be exalted. Whenever I act like or speak like I need something more, what I'm doing is looking at Christ on that cross and saying, thank you, but that's not enough. And that is wicked. You don't even know how much that is and what He suffered for you. It is enough to be one of His body. And therefore should live it that he be exalted. This helped me, and maybe it will help you. John Piper has a way of distilling things. But he said, humility is the opposite of a sense of entitlement. So many people are raising their kids with a sense of entitlement these days. They come out of the home thinking the world owes them something. Good. You owe me. And you owe me. And you owe me. And God owes me. Yeah, God owes you all right. He owes you condemnation. That's what God owes you. And this world is not going to give you anything. And the humility that we're talking about. See, you were born in debt. Let me just stop and go back. 
You are born as a creature of God, a creation of God. You were born in debt to God and neighbor. Your duty being created by God is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And you failed at that miserably. And yet God sent His Son to fulfill that for us and to die for our sins and be raised and restore us, make us right with God. So that we don't have a sense of entitlement, but we have a sense of giving. The converted heart has a sense and it's growing. I'm not saying it's perfect yet, but we're convicted when it's not. The, the, the converted heart now owns its obligation to be a debtor to all people. You heard Paul talk like that. And to be a debtor to God. What kind of debt? I have been created and I've been redeemed so that I might love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself. And another level, my Christian brothers and sisters the way Christ has loved me. Self-sacrificial love. So any sense of entitlement that you have, by God's grace, let it be replaced with a sense of true love that's outward focused. Paul, as an apostle, tells us that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but think biblically. So we're to think with sober judgment, again, biblically, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. To agree with God about who I am and why I'm here. And what he's done for me and what my purpose now is, which is to bring him glory by sacrificing myself for him and for those around me. That his gospel might go to the ends of the earth. So quickly, application number one is reject pride. Reject all arrogance. Reject all self-centered mindset. One that sees one. What do you mean? One that sees yourself as more important than others. Because a prideful mindset refuses to be defined by and shaped by God's Word. I'll agree with God when He agrees with me. I'll do what He asks me to do when it makes sense to me. Other than that, God's just kind of got to line up and be my genie. Because if He didn't answer things the way I prayed He would answer them, He must not love me. That's silly, right? What if your kid asks to play in the street and you say no and they say, well, you don't love me? You don't try to convince them, by the way, that you love them. Someday you'll get it. But no, you can't play in the street. That's love. But if you refuse to be defined and shaped by God's word, that will lead to disaster. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God opposes the proud. But who does he give grace to? The humble, the ones he has humbled, the ones he sent his gospel and brought from death to life. So, number two, embrace gospel humility, which is true humility, which is God-centered and Christ-like humility. Agree with God as to who you are and what you deserve in and of yourself, that you should be lost and be experiencing his wrath right now. But God, his amazing grace in Christ, be amazed and dependent upon his grace every day as you seek to live a living sacrifice. For Jesus, 
Live, listen to me. Boil it all the way down. Live a life of gracious love. Gracious love to God who has saved you. Gracious love to neighbor who needs Him. Gracious love to brothers and sisters in Christ like you've been forgiven. We do that by looking outward. Think of, I've said this before, but think of the gospel as a pair of glasses. Right? The cross, Jesus, however you want to say that, that you put on so that you can look out well. These glasses enable me to see you, right? And hopefully I see you through Christ and what he's done for me so that I'm humble towards you and a servant to you and seek to build you up. Have gospel glasses so that you interpret everything around you in light of his grace to you in Christ. Don't walk around. Don't, what, we're, what our default setting is to not have on gospel glasses and to walk around with a mirror. So we're just looking at, how does this serve me? How does this benefit me? You're here to serve me. When you don't, I'm done with you. Or maybe the selfie culture. I'm not saying anything's wrong with taking a selfie. You'll never see me take one. (laughs) But sometimes it seems like that's all people are doing. Can't take a nap without taking a selfie in front of the bed. And what does this fish face people do? I so don't get that. I know I'm out of touch and I get it. But my life shouldn't be a selfie. It should be others focused, outward, having the gospel glasses on. Now it's not about me. Right? It's about you. It's about Him first and about you. And it's about you either coming to Him or you growing in His grace. So ditch the selfie culture for the gospel culture. And see others the way Christ has seen them. Needy. Undeserving. So that you reach out to them with His gospel and His grace. Whether they be Christian or not. You don't wait for people to line up with everything you think they ought to do. You don't try to take a pound of flesh when they cross you. You forgive your enemies. You love those who persecute you. You bless those who curse you. And you especially do that for your brothers and sisters in Christ. If the gospel doesn't humble us, bottom line, I don't understand. I'm not getting it if it's not humbling me. My attitude should come away from that cross with Augustine's attitude that humility is first, second, and third in the Christian life. That now I'm just to be a vessel through which Christ pours grace. See, if Peter, the way we started, if Peter had been thinking soberly and rightly, he would have said, Lord, I know that I am prone to desert you. I am prone to wonder. So help me, work in me, so that I will not deny you out of pride but follow you in humility. His life became more of a testimony of that 
as Christ. And he denied Jesus three times. What did Jesus do? Sent him to hell. He restored him three times, didn't he? And more than that, he used him greatly. He didn't make him pope. But he greatly used Peter. And in fact, he used Peter to encourage the other disciples after he was restored. Christ had prayed for him before it happened. He knew it was coming. He told him it was coming. And he restored him. And Peter came out of it knowing Peter better. If I really get the gospel, I'll know Jeff better. I stink. Anything good in me is a work of his grace and the rest is my fault. I hope you can see it that way. Christ calls us to walk the trail. He has blazed ahead of us the path of true humility, self-sacrificing for the glory of God and the good of others. So in humility, connect it back to verse 2 and verse 1. In humility then, devote yourself to being a living sacrifice for Christ and others. Live the life He lays out for you. And we'll begin to put some details on that as we continue with verse 4 and following. But remember our main point. Think rightly by putting off pride and putting on biblical, I would add, Christ-like humility. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that justification is an act of your grace and sanctification is a work of your grace. That your grace, that you are working in us both to bring us to faith and to grow us up in grace. The Spirit producing His fruit in us. And we know that we will be like you one day. Not because we're good, but because you are. And you will finish the work you've begun. If we pass from this life before you return, we'll immediately be set free and in your presence and wait for the resurrection. If we are on this earth when you return, return, when we see you, we will be like you. Glorified. And spend eternity with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, between now and then, help us to live like we believe the gospel. Help us to believe the gospel. And have our eyes and hearts fixed on you. Following you. Down this path of self-sacrifice. And being used by you. Yes, so others may come to faith. Neighbors might be served. And brothers and sisters in Christ will be built up. May we be vessels of grace to all we come into contact with. Help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you. Work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. We cry out for it and trust for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing one more grace greater than all our sin. Good dose of good news. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount there where the blood of the Lamb was filled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace.
So put Christ's grace before you by meditating on Philippians 2, 1 to 11. And then just go before Him and say, Search me and try me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I promise you He will answer that. If you can trust Him with your soul, you can trust Him with your heart, you can trust Him with your life. And He will, by His Spirit, gently lovingly, but authoritatively as Lord, lead you in the paths of righteousness for His sake, for your good, and for the good of those around you. So go ask the Lord, where am I not being humble? Where am I not trusting you? Where am I not allowing your word to define me? And ask Him to do that. That you might live in light of that grace we've been singing about. Grace that is greater than all my sin. The Son of God was incarnate to live for His people and fulfill all righteousness. 
And then to take our guilt upon himself and die a penalty on a cross, not just suffering physical torment, but wrath, spiritual wrath, the eternal hell that we all deserve. He was buried in humiliation and he rose the third day and he reigns and he sent his spirit to do his work. The same spirit that raised him from the dead is at work in you. So stop believing I can't and just replace it with he can and look to him that we might be more and more like him. So I'll send you away with Matthew 16:24 transformed a little bit. Have a God-centered mindset. So deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus who certainly certainly put others first and who has certainly put you first. Love and live for him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You are dismissed.